Good morning. Uh, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, kind of into chapter 2 this morning. We're going to continue on uh, through the study of the letter to the church at Colossae. Difficulties in our lives, um, it's easier to kind of talk about those types of things, working out and running, um, than it is to talk about the really, really hard things that come into our lives. And we don't really like to talk about those things. We don't like to bring people into those sometimes. Um, sometimes we, we might crumble under the weight of those difficult situations in our lives. We might complain. We might uh, play the blame game sometimes on a person or on God. We may try to ignore or run from the difficulties in our lives. But we see this morning in the end of chapter one here and into chapter two, a completely different response from Paul. You see a different attitude in Paul. So we're gonna be in Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. Um, and as a reminder, as we get into this, this part of the letter, let's remember that Paul is in prison when he writes this. Let's remember um, or find out that Paul didn't directly plant this church in Colossae. In fact, he'd never even been there to visit this young group of believers, which when you think about that, where he is and that he's never met these people, when you look at his attitude towards them and towards his suffering, uh, makes it pretty remarkable and a great lesson for us. So we're gonna be in uh, chapter 124 through 27, and we're gonna kind of break it down into two sections. And while these sections in their titles will sound a little bit different, they do correlate, um, but we are gonna break it down into two different sections. The first section we're gonna call faithfulness through suffering, and the second section we're gonna call standing firm together. So in these two sections, we'll see that Paul takes a general stance, universal church kind of stance, and in the second section, it's more of a uh, personal attitude towards the specifically that church in Colossae. So let's read in its entirety, and then we're going to dive deep together and see kind of what we can pull from it and what God has for us. So verse 24 of chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm willing uh, I'm filling what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of fullness, uh, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So over and over again, we see Paul, not just here, but in all his letters really, begin by talking about his position as a minister of the gospel, a servant of Jesus Christ. And it's no different here in verse 23, as David ended last week, you see him say um, that he is, a, uh, he is a minister of the gospel, of which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So 
He's a minister of the gospel. He understands his position. He understands his responsibility as such. So when he begins verse 24 and he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my current sufferings because of you and for you, for your sake. Remember, Paul's in prison. Paul's never met these believers. He's never been there to visit. He didn't plant this church. Indirectly, he knows them. He knows of them. He's heard stories uh, about them. But he says, for your sake, I rejoice in my suffering. Why would he rejoice when he's never even met these people? And he answers it with a very easy to understand answer. He says, in his flesh, he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body that is the church. It's pretty easy. No, it's not really easy to understand. Um, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What could possibly be lacking in what Christ went through? What could be missing in the suffering, the afflictions, the turmoil, the pain, the death that Jesus endured on our behalf? I mean, we know that the sufferings are all sufficient. The death is all sufficient, right? For anyone who believes in what Jesus did, it is enough for salvation. So what, what is Paul talking about when he says, what is lacking? Well, there's a pastor that says it this way that I think um, makes it a little more clear. He says, Christ has prepared a love offering for the world by suffering and dying for sinners. It's a perfect sacrifice. It pays in full for all the sins of all his people. Nothing can be added to make a better gift. It is lacking in nothing except one thing, a personal presentation by Christ himself to the nations of the world. In other words, someone has to talk about Jesus. Right? Someone's got to take that message, got to take the the truth in the afflictions and the pain and the suffering and the death and take that to the ends of the earth as Christ commanded us to do. His afflictions are not fully known, in other words. What is lacking is the knowledge of the afflictions. Make sense? So, so his aim, Paul, then, is to make known the afflictions of Christ to the ends of the world, beginning with these churches that he... So when Paul says, sake of the church here, He's talking about the universal church. This is why Paul can look at a body of believers that he's never met and rejoice in his suffering because he knows church on a bigger scale. He knows the commission that Jesus left with the apostles, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. All, not just where you are currently situated, but all, right? So the universal church, the big C church, he's concerned over that. And everything that Paul does, really, if you think about it, everything that he does is with the end goal of one, glorifying God, but making Christ known to the ends of the earth. So he rejoices in that suffering that he is facing because he's trying to push the gospel forward. So it doesn't matter what gets in his way. It doesn't matter who gets in his way. Paul's willing to endure whatever it takes for the sake of the expansion of the church. Look at verse um, 25 again. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. The mystery being, of course, if, we've, um, if you know anything about this mystery that God talks about in a few different places, and he answers it actually in verse 27. But the mystery of the gospel is now the gospel is for not just the Jews but also for the Gentiles, right? In other words, the gospel is for everyone. So the mystery that is found is, hey, this is not just for those um, from the Old Testament moving through Israel, right? But it's for everybody. And that was revolutionary for Christ to bring that message, right? So the mystery of this gospel is, hey, it's for everyone who believes. It doesn't matter who you are. 
And so what is the end goal, Paul says? Of course, we know glorifying God. We can say that as kind of a blanket, like it's always the end goal. But he says in verse 28, him we proclaim, this is why I do it, him we, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Discipleship, right? Begins with evangelism, discipleship. You're doing life together. You're struggling together. And Paul's saying, look, I'm struggling with you. And it's hard. And I'm willing to get into it with you. So let's do it together. Because why? I want to have you presented mature in Christ. I want you to understand what it means to have a deep relationship, a thriving relationship with God. I want you to know what that looks like, but I want you to have it. And so this is why he says in verse 29, I toil, I struggle with every ounce of energy that Christ has given me on your behalf. This is why I do it, to present you mature in Christ. So for this reason, I struggle and I fight for you. I had a student years ago once ask me, um, and by the way, this isn't a one-time thing. I've had a lot of students that have, in a way, um, said this to me, but here's the question. Why do you continue to put up with me? Why have you not given up on me by now? And my simple answer is because I'm not in the business of giving up on people. That's not my thing. God never gave up on me. So what right do I have to give up on you? I want these students to have a deep, thriving relationship with God. So it doesn't matter what they go through, what mistakes they might make, what you know, their struggles are. I want to get into those struggles with them. I want to get into the trenches, the hard things. I want to get messy. That's what I want to do. That's why I do it. I like having fun. Okay, I like climbing trees and making fun of myself, whatever. Um, but I want to do it so that students understand what it means to have a deep, thriving relationship with God. So if that means getting messy and going through hard times and doing it together, like that's why I do it. I want to get messy. I want to walk through the hard times. Because at the end of that is something good. The end of that is growth. At the end of that is a deeper understanding of who God is. We need to get into those hard times, the trenches with people that we love and walk through difficult times with them. So let's take a step back. I want to take a step back and I want to summarize kind of up to this point what Paul is saying. So Paul, knowing his responsibility as a minister of the gospel, is happy to take on any amount of suffering, any hardship, any affliction, any persecution, if it means that the gospel is going forward and the church is growing. It doesn't matter. He's willing to do whatever it takes. His goal is to preach the gospel of Jesus no matter what or who might stand in his way so that people understand on a deep level what it means to follow God and have a relationship with him. Now, we don't like talking about this part of the Christian life. We don't like talking about the hard times. We don't like talking about the struggles. We don't like talking about the pain. We don't like talking about the persecution that we might face, the hardships, the afflictions. It's not comfortable to talk about those things. I want to speak to the persecution side of it. For a second. Second Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Can't get much more straightforward than that. Paul understood that. Paul said over and over again, not if, but when you are persecuted. Right? Others said that in scripture. When, not if. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Not when you face it, but when, or not if, but when you face trial, blessed are you who persevere, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So persecution, trials, hardships, those things are promised to us. The Christian life is not meant to be a cakewalk. It's not. And if your life is easy as a Christian, one of two things, 
um, it will be hard at some point. Um, or look at 2 Timothy. If you're not facing persecution, this is what it says in God's word. If you're not facing persecution, you're not living a godly life. What? If I am not, now, we think of persecution, of course, as like persecution. Like I'm not being, you know, beaten and I'm not being, that, you know, thrown in prison for my faith. And I'm not, that's what we think of when we think of persecution. But persecution takes many faces. So if you're not feeling pressure because of your faith, if you're not having tough conversations and having people tell you that you're wrong because that's silly or that's foolish or whatever, like that's persecution also. If you're not facing that in your world somehow, it says in Timothy, then you're not living a godly life. That's pretty piercing. And when I read that this week, I was like, oh man, how many times do I just go about my week feeling great, not having anything that's hard as a believer? And you know, am I sharing my faith? Am I taking it to the people that need to hear it? Am I living in that way? Because if not, do I really care about living a godly life? I don't want to get too much onto that persecution side of thing, but it's not easy. The point is, it's going to be hard. And there's a lot of passages that talk about suffering. I want to read this story to you guys about a, a Maasai warrior. If you guys are familiar with the Maasai tribe in Africa, um, it's the tribe that we see sometimes in pictures. They have the red um, tribal clothing. A lot of times you see the men wearing spears. You have the Maasai, or holding spears. Um, they're the, the Maasai warriors is what they're, they're known as. And there was a uh, Billy Graham conference in Europe one year about couldn't find the exact date, but it was somewhere around like 2008, 2009. And this warrior shows up at this conference and his story was so incredible that he won an audience with Billy Graham himself because of what he went through. So I'm gonna read that story to you because this is the perfect illustration of kind of what Paul's trying to get at. One day Joseph, who was walking along one of these hot, dirty African roads, met someone who shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. Then and there he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. The power of the Spirit began transforming his life. He was filled with such excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was return to his own village and share that same good news with the members of his local tribe. Joseph began going from door to door, telling everyone he met about the cross of Jesus and the salvation it offered, expecting to see their faces light up the way his had. To his amazement, the villagers not only didn't care, but they became violent. The men of the village seized him and held him to the ground while the women beat him with strands of barbed wire. He was dragged from the village and left to die alone in the bush. Joseph somehow managed to crawl to a water hole, and there, after days of passing in and out of consciousness, he found the strength to get up. He wondered about the hostile reception he had received from people he had known all his life. He decided he must have left something out or told the story of Jesus incorrectly. After rehearsing the message he had first heard, he decided to go back and share his faith once more. Joseph limped into the circle of huts and began to proclaim Jesus. He died for you so that you might find forgiveness and come to know the living God, he pleaded. Again, he was grabbed by the men of the village and held while the women beat him, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. Once more, they dragged him unconscious from the village and left him to die. To have survived the first beating was truly rem remarkable. To live through the second was a miracle. Again, days later, Joseph awoke in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back. He returned to the small village, and this time they attacked him before he had a chance to open his mouth. As they flogged him for the third and probably the last time, he again spoke to them of Jesus Christ, the Lord. I get chills reading this. Before he passed out, the last thing he saw was that the women who were beating him began to weep. This time he awoke in his own bed. 
The ones who had so severely beaten him were now trying to save his life and nurse him back to health. The entire village had come to Christ. So you talk about a perfect example of what Paul is saying when he says, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, toiling and struggling. It doesn't matter what stands in front of me. My responsibility as all of our responsibilities as Christians, as ministers of the gospel, you're not a pastor to be a minister of the gospel, you are as a Christian, is to take it no matter what stands in your way and suffer on behalf of the gospel for the sake of the universal church and take the message no matter what stands in your way. And so this is a perfect example of filling up what's lacking in the afflictions, taking the afflictions of Christ to a people that hadn't heard, that didn't want to hear about it, but continuing to persevere and persevere and face persecution and pain and affliction and hardship and continue going after it because he knew that he wanted to present these friends of his mature in Christ. He wanted them to know the sweet message of the gospel, and so he kept on pushing and kept on fighting, kept toiling and kept struggling, and this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a minister of the gospel. Now, we're not all going to face that, okay? but it's gonna be hard. But that's what we're called to do. Now let's move on to our second part of this, okay? So we have that, um, faithfulness through suffering. And now we have the second part, which is called standing firm together. So again, the way this passage ties together is that Paul's talking generally about the universal church and his suffering and his rejoicing in that on behalf of them because of the end goal, presenting mature in Christ, right? Well, now we move into a very specific passage about the church at Colossae. He's speaking now specifically to their situation, so he's saying, look, I care about the church, but now I, I want to just talk to you for a moment. And I want to make sure that you guys specifically can be presented mature in Christ. And here's kind of a formula that I want to lay out, uh, a framework, if you will, excuse me, of, um, of what that can look like. Okay, so let's, uh, let's go to chapter two. And in the first few verses, Paul kind of reiterates what he's already said. He's, he kind of goes back to, okay, I, I'm suffering on your behalf. I want you to know about the struggle that I have. Now, he moves into a more personal um, realm here. So the suffering can now also look like he's talking about the, the prayer. He's in jail, so I'm praying and I'm, and I'm sweating on your behalf and I'm seeking the Lord after you and I'm on my knees begging that God would, would protect you and would work in you and, and that you guys would be able to take the gospel. So he's suffering and, and he's struggling and um, he believes that if, he, if they know he's suffering that they're gonna um, be encouraged and they're gonna be strengthened in their, in their faith. And then he talks about, he wants them to be encouraged and understand the, by the mystery of the gospel. So he kind of reiterates what he said. And then in verse four, he makes his strugglings and afflictions really very personal, and here's how. He says in verse four, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I say this so that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. So somebody or a group of people is trying to mislead this young church. Someone is trying to, to knock them off the path of what they believe to be truth. They're being pulled in different directions. And it's not just here where Paul talks about this, but it's also in verse eight of chapter two, where he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And then in verse 16 of chapter two, he says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And then in verse 18 of chapter two, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. So all throughout chapter two, he's saying, look, I know there's people that are trying to, to add to the gospel or take away from the gospel. They're trying to pull you in different directions. They're trying to tell you what you're doing is not right. You should do it this way. Or how dare you forsake this 
part of the belief system of our ancestors or, or whatever. Right? They're, they're being pulled in all these different directions. And so Paul is saying, listen, I, I, want, I, I want you to understand something so that no one can pull you. By the way, he says plausible arguments. Plausible would mean like kind of logical, like it makes sense, right? So the arguments that are being presented aren't crazy. The arguments that are being presented to this young church make sense, right? It would be easy to be pulled astray because, well, yeah, that doesn't sound so off. That doesn't sound so far from what I believe. So what's the big deal if I let that slide? That makes sense, right? And so he's saying, don't, don't let these, these intelligent people use logic and use reasoning to pull you astray because, because we know what truth is, right? Don't let them, don't let them convince you of, of different things. And so here's kind of what Paul does in this chapter. And this is very, very good for us to, to hear. He, he lays out a framework for us on how we can stand firm. It's what the second section is all about, right? We're standing firm. So he lays out this, this kind of process that he wants them to see. So here's what that is, and here's how they can guard their hearts against those who want to deceive. He tells them first and foremost in chapter one, he tells them of his tremendous struggle on their behalf. So that, in verse two, the hope that this will knit their hearts to his and to each other's in love. You know of the suffering so that it will lead to love. And that out of this bond of love would grow a deep understanding of God, also in verse two. And that the love and understanding would come, uh, out of that would come a strong encouragement of the faith, also in verse two. And that then this encouragement and faith would be the power that guards them from the delusion of plausible arguments, in verse four. So let's make it a little more simple. The sacrificial struggles that we enter into show our love for one another. Our love for one another leads to an understanding of God. Our understanding of God leads us to a stronger encouragement in our faith, and our strong encouragement in our faith will help to guard us from delusion or from things that try to sway us from the truth of the gospel. So there's this framework that, that Paul lays out, and um, we can look at it, and we can really evaluate our lives through that, beginning with the suffering on the behalf of other people. And we're gonna get there in a moment, we'll kind of, break that down a little bit here in a moment. Um, but I wanna talk about, I wanna take these two sections now that we've kind of looked at the passage of what Paul's trying to communicate. And I wanna take this and I wanna relate it to us because it's easy to look at a passage like this and say, okay, um, Paul's suffering, Paul's in prison. It was hard back then because they're just getting the church off the ground. There's a lot of opposition. They face prison time if they're preaching it. They could be beaten. Um, they could be killed for their faith. It's not really what we see here. So yeah, Paul was suffering and he's trying to encourage this church because they're suffering. But we don't really suffer like that. So how do we take what Paul is saying and how do we make it real for us? Right? That's why we want to preach God's word. It's not just so, oh, that's great. Now I know a little bit more about what Paul's saying. But how can we take what he's saying and the encouragement that he's giving and how can we live that out in our lives? So we have the two main breakdowns of this section. We have faithfulness through suffering and we have standing firm together. So what I want to do is I want to pose just two main questions in each of these sections I'm gonna pose two questions for us this morning. I wanna give you any like main points, but I, I want us to ask these two questions of ourselves. And um, well, let's just go. So the first section, faithfulness through suffering. Here's the first question. Are we willing to suffer on behalf of the gospel? Are we willing to suffer on behalf of the gospel? Now, don't let your mind go to persecution just yet, okay? Because suffering for the sake of the gospel doesn't only look like persecution. Like we talked about a little bit earlier, it also looks like 
getting down and dirty in the mess of somebody's life and trying to walk with them through that for the sake of the gospel. So it doesn't always have to look like persecution, but what are the struggles? Are we willing to enter into those struggles? It doesn't mean we end up in prison, um, but are we willing to do hard things for those that we love? Or do we, do we shy away from that? Like that's gonna, that's gonna be too hard. I don't know that I really wanna, I'm gonna pick my battles and that's not one that I really feel like walking with you through because that seems too hard. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to say. I don't have experience there. Go talk to this person, right? But are we willing to like get in to those struggles with people? Do we, do we pray? Do we pray daily for those that we love? Is our prayer for those that we, that we care for, that we want gospel growth in, um, is it a constant thing, right? I love how Paul, when he says to pray without ceasing, you know, it's just this idea that we're just constantly in prayer, talking to God, no matter where we're going. One of my favorite places to pray is when I'm driving alone because I just feel like my thoughts are just, I'm just connected and I'm able to just bring things up to God and like, man, God, this and that and like this person and, um, you know, my my individual, like, let's sit down for 30 minutes and, and pray. I could be better about that, like, set-aside prayer time where it's just, like, me and a chair and whatever. But, like, the pray without ceasing, I feel like I have that down pretty good because I'm always just, like, concerned over people and things and, and trying to pray. But are we praying daily for people that we love? Is that a, a discipline of ours? Because prayer doesn't look like, hey, God, you know, my friend Joe doesn't know you, so save him. Um, and thanks for this food, amen. But it's like, it's the toil, it's the struggle, it's the, it's the weeping, it's the tears, it's the seeking God after that person, it's the hard prayers, it's the begging and pleading with God to save them and, and, and just like this, this sense of there's no, other, there's no other way, God, you're the only way that this can happen and you're just, you're begging him for things. Do we pray that way? Are we on our knees begging God to save them? Are we willing to enter their hurt, to enter their struggles? What about those that aren't, that are believers? What about those in our lives that, that are believers? I can remember, I mean, this is, again, this is a, a multiple time situation over the 10 years now that I've been in ministry with students, but I, countless times, I couldn't even count it on all of my fingers and toes, um, but countless times where something happens and, and you walk with a student through something, and I can remember one so, so vividly where um, a student made a mistake and did something that wasn't right and uh but there was remorse there was that was stupid I need to I need to change I want to I want to get out from under this and so instead of like you're an idiot how could you do that um you know and push them out of my life it's okay let's let's talk about this like right now let's talk about this and and get into the situation and and one of the things I said to this person was you know um I know you don't want to hear this right now but even though it's a mistake and, and there's, there's pain in this and there's a struggle through this, God is going to use this at some point to help somebody else. He's going to use this in your life to help somebody else. And I'm like, I know you don't want to hear that because this is real and raw and you don't want to think about how you can help other people right now. But literally a few months later, I get a phone call from this person just so excited. Adam, you'll never guess what just happened. <laughs> what? I just got to use what I went through with one of, my, one of my good friends because they're going through the same thing and I was able to use my experience to speak to them and to try to speak truth to them and try to encourage them through it. Just months later. And so when you look at those that, that are in our lives and you say, you know, 
I go through these things and they're so hard and um, I don't know why God would allow me to walk through this and why God would allow this trial or why, why this struggle or this affliction or whatever it is. Um, just keep in mind that um, at some point, I really do believe this, at some point in your life, it may not be right now, but God will use what you go through to help somebody else. So what Paul is saying is, look, I'm struggling and I'm going through this. And the reason that I'm, I'm rejoicing in the fact that I'm struggling and I'm going through this is because I know it's going to end in good on your behalf. I know that I'll be able to use my struggles and my affliction to help you when you're struggling and when you guys are facing persecution, you're facing affliction. And so we want to use our experience, experiences sometimes to help other people that are struggling. But the whole point of all of this is that big question, are we willing to enter into the pain and the hurt and the suffering of those that we love for the sake of the gospel, to help them grow through it, to show them Christ in it, to present them mature in Christ, as Paul says. Are we willing to suffer and endure difficulties for the sake of the gospel? And then the second question in that second part of the passage is, is this. How are we protecting ourselves from believing the false gospels that are so prevalent today? So how are we, what are we putting in place in our lives to protect ourselves from the things that can pull us from the truth of what we know in God's word. Pulls us in so many directions, right? And this, this by the way, could be my soapbox moment and I tend to get on these uh, when I preach and I don't want to get on a soapbox because it could take, it could be a whole sermon in and of itself about how the truth is being watered down in our culture. Um, but Paul gave us a formula to begin with, right? If you want, if you want to be Firm in your faith, if you want to stand on the truth of what you know is right, what God says, not how human institutions have changed what God says because it's 2019, but what God says, based on the formula that Paul lays out, I think the life group's a pretty good place to start. <laughs> and here's why. Because in a life group, okay, as you share the difficult situations in your life, the real, raw, deep, hard things that you're going through, those people in your group are able to enter into that with you and love you in it and through it. And so what Paul says, right, the suffering on your behalf is so that love will be realized. So we share our difficult situations, we experience love. When we experience that kind of love, it shows us a little bit more clearly who God is. So we understand God on a deeper level, which then understanding God on a deeper level encourages us in our faith. And when we're encouraged in our faith, then it allows us to stand firm. So life groups, if you're not involved in one, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's so hard to go at this Christian life alone. It's so hard to do it. We need, God has given us relationships for this reason. We need relationships. We need people in our lives that are strengthening us, that are encouraging us, that are getting into our mess. Right? Are we willing to get into someone else's? That's a good question. But are we vulnerable enough to allow others into ours? Do we have people in our lives that can come into ours and speak truth to us and love us through it and encourage us in it and allow us to grow in our faith and stand firm in that then as a result? So it wasn't supposed to be a life group pitch, but life groups are so important in our church. Small groups with our students are so important. You know, even beginning at the young age with our kids, they're in a small group setting, an elementary, trying to just build into relationships and have our leaders pour into them because we want to enter into their lives and be able to, be able to encourage. Um, another great way that we can stand firm is by being in God's word. I mean, that should have been the one I started with, I think. 
Um, but if you want to stand firm, you got to know what it says. The easiest way to be pulled to and fro is to not be in God's word. Because if you don't know what God's word says, if you don't know the truth of his word, then how do you know what the truth is that you're supposed to stand on? It's going to be so much easier for someone to pull you this way or pull you that way or say, you know what? Yeah, that's what God's word says. But listen, man, it's a new age. We're smarter now. He didn't really mean that. Okay. It was just poetry, Adam. It wasn't literal. Okay. Um, and so if you don't know what God's word says, it's, oh, yeah, you know what? I can, I can go with that. That's, yeah, there's nothing really innately wrong with that. Yet God <laughs> says there's something wrong with it. So you want to know the truth to stand on, you got to know the truth, right? So that's another way that you can stand firm is just be, being in God's word. This is why we have such a huge emphasis this year on being in God's word. I mean, we have such a huge emphasis in this. In our small groups, uh, in our student ministries, we've, we've added this curriculum that gives students a daily discipleship plan. It gives them a passage to read. And then the leaders can break that down with them and get into the word. And literally every other week when our, our leaders get into a small group setting, our leaders are leading our kids through a study of God's word for 45 minutes to an hour. They're just going through scripture and they're diving in and they're asking questions, and they're getting the kids to, to try to see what God is saying and how that relates to their life and how they can apply that to their life, and we're getting deep. That's why when we get up here and preach God's word, we wanna just preach God's word. Let's get deep, let's look at what Paul's saying, let's look how it all works together, and then let's pull out what that means for us. How can we, how can we live in light of what Paul is saying as a result of the Holy Spirit leading him to write this? Right? How can we take this and apply it? We wanna get in God's word, we wanna teach God's word. And so the emphasis, one of the three for us this year is growing in God's word. Plain and simple, because to be, be able to stand in truth is, is to be uh, so important, and you're going to notice it being more and more difficult in our world to stand firm with what you know is truth. So um, let's avoid that soapbox and move on to the end. And uh, Bane, you guys can come on out. Um, I didn't give you a cue, but here it is. Um, so, uh, so, so the two questions um, for, this, for this message, just to kind of be faced with. Um, are we willing? Are we willing to suffer? on behalf of the gospel? Are we willing to get into the mess to help others through it, to love them through it, to present them mature in Christ? And then number two, how are we protecting ourselves from believing the false gospels that are so prevalent today as Paul was encouraging them, stand firm in your faith because I know that people are trying to pull you in different directions, but stand in truth, know what is truth, stand on that. And when you stand on truth, in turn, you'll face hardships and you'll face afflictions and persecution, and there will be suffering and trials. So it kind of does go together uh, in a great way. So let's pray over this, and then we'll, uh, we'll sing a few more songs. And um, God, thanks for today. Thanks for your word. And uh, thank you for um, this book that we've been privileged to, to go through slowly and um, really digest it and, and find the beauty and the truth in it. And God, I pray that this wouldn't be something that we feel like is for other cultures and other parts of the world when we talk about suffering for the sake of the gospel. We talk about hardships and oh, my Christian life is easy here. You know, I live, I live in Cary. I live in Apex. It's a pretty, it's a pretty easy. God, you, you call us to a hard Christian life. It's not meant to be easy. So let us really look within and if it's not hard, if we're not facing hard things, um, then let us try to look at why. We're we really pursuing you and trying to take your gospel forth. God, I pray that we would be willing to get into the struggles and the mess of those that we love. And we wouldn't shy away from the hard conversations, the uncomfortable conversations. Because we know, God, in the end that 
um, if our end goal is to one, glorify you, but present those that we love mature in Christ, then we're willing to get into the mess and in the hard things. And God, I pray that we would be, that we would know truth so we could stand firm on truth and we would, um, we'd know what you say and not be swayed by what others might say that doesn't ref- really go with what you say. Um, so let us be students of your word to a point where we are sure of what truth is, of what you call us to, how you call us to live. And God, give us people in our lives that we can be encouraged by and that can help us as we um, go on this journey of faith. So we love you so much. Thanks again for your word, God. Thanks for your son. And uh, thank you so much for your spirit that allows us to understand what your word says and helps us to live every day. So um, give us a great time of worship now and uh, let us do it with, uh, with full hearts and out of the overflow of our love for you. In your son's name, amen.